Good morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We're in our Luke series, and so that's going to be the bumper before that we do that for the next few weeks. Um, We're in part four. We're talking about the ministry of Jesus, and it's just an exciting time because you get to see kind of all the miracles that Jesus did and how he started his ministry. And I'm, I'm just excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. But it's like oftentimes at work, I work at a bank in Bunny Lake, and so oftentimes my coworkers, they know I'm a pastor, so they'll ask me, they'll be like, what do you, when you speak at Open Life, what do you talk about? And so I always joke with them, I say, I said, you know what, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm like, that's usually what I talk about anyway. But that's like always my one word answer. I'm like, oh, just talk about Jesus. And so they kind of look at me, they're like, uh, duh, like I'd hope so. But it's like, it's the true thing. It's like, if all this thing, all, all the stuff we do here at Open Life, all the singing, all the prayer, all the worship, all the reading in the Bible, the teaching, if, it, if Jesus isn't a part of it, then what's the point of doing it? And so it's like, it, that's just like my sense of like when we get to speak, when we get to talk about Jesus, it's, a, it's an honor to like hear about him and to see his life, to see his ministry. And it's an honor to like look to see how he lived his life and how I can live my life out of that example. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus speaks and the reaction that people have in this specific story. Like how do they, how do they understand Jesus and his actions? And so as we do this today, as we talk about him, I want to put a question before us today that will kind of guide our thoughts as we read this story, as we listen to some, to just some different facts and stuff about the passage. And the, the question is, and it's your first fill-in on your paper today, is do we recognize who Jesus is? And so parents, I'm sure you understand this um, like idea of recognition with your kids, whether you pick them up from school or they, you know, run into the house or you get home from work and you see them. And there's this like recognition factor that happens. Even if it's just a quick like split second look, there's this recognition. And I'm not talking really about like, oh yeah, my kids forgot me during the day and now they remember who I am. Or like you forgot what your kids like look like during the day and and now you remember because you just saw them after work. I'm talking about kind of the recognition of, like, placing you in the role as parent. Like, there's that, like, quick glance where you look at a parent and you feel safety or comfort or just that, like, feeling of, like, this is my parent. Or for parents, you look at your children and there's this recognition of them as the role of your children, as, like, they're a part of your family. This is my flesh and blood. There's that quick glance of recognition. And so as we read this passage today, I want you to look for the recognition factor in the people of this story. Jesus comes to the synagogue, and he's teaching, and you're going to see that all these people who see him, and they respond. But it doesn't really mean that this response that they have means that they, like, know and recognize Jesus as their Savior or their Deliverer or their Lord or Messiah as, as they would know it as. And then as we go through the story, think about how you personally look at Jesus. How can you personally kind of like recognize Jesus? How can you personally look at who Jesus is and let your life be changed out of that recognition? How do you see him? What role do you choose to let him have in your life? Because when you determine that role that Jesus has in your life, it determines everything in regards to that relationship with him and with God. Is Jesus just a good teacher to you or is he something even greater than that? Is he just a great person? He just lived a great life? Or have you recognized in your life that he actually truly is the way to salvation? 
Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? And so let's jump into this story. We're um, in Luke 4, 31 through 37. So only six quick verses, and then we'll talk about it from there. So Luke 4, 31 says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, top of his voice. Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them, threw before them all, and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they came out, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. And so at the beginning and the end of this passage of Scripture, we are told that the people around of this miracle were amazed at Jesus' teaching and his message. Jesus' message, as we were told last week when he was in his hometown of Nazareth, is that he was anointed to preach good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, bringing sight to the blind, releasing the oppressed, as we're seeing today in the story that we're reading, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Basically, Jesus came to earth and he's telling people, I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, but he never really comes out and says specifically, like, I am your Messiah or I'm your Savior. He just does things that show you that that's who he is. Because he's showing people who he is so that they can believe who he is and not just doing it because someone told him that he was the Savior. And so, of course, the people last week respond with hostility, and they try and throw him off the cliff, as Thad explained last week. And, and it's true, because when Jesus gives his message or his teaching, and when we read the Bible, it, like, there's just this response that's demanded of it when we go through like reading Scripture. When we, when we see his teaching and what we're going through, there's just this response that has to come out, out of like, who we are and what is going on as we're reading the Scripture. And so the first, the second point today is Jesus's message has authority. And it's crucial to understand that, that Jesus's message has authority. It's Jesus comes speaking and people are amazed. There's wonder at, that like surrounds his words. Like people are like, like, what is this he's saying? It's a little bit different than things I've heard before. And so imagine being there in the situation of the people of the synagogue You've read all the books before, you've been taught, you've heard all the teachings, and you lived like the Jewish life. And you're left with this longing for the things that you've been taught. You're left with this longing, you're searching for a Savior, you're searching for that, the things that you've been taught and written, you just want to know that they've been true and that they're complete. And that like, it's not a big joke that people have been teaching you throughout time. And so what's different about Jesus when he comes on the scene is that he isn't a prophet, like, telling people about God. He isn't, like, this teacher just telling people, you know, this is what God is like. What's different and what gives Jesus this, like, awesome power of authority is that Jesus is actually God. He's not a voice, like, pointing to God, like John is, like, when we read, like, weeks back about John coming to earth and how he was pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to God this whole time. The difference with Jesus is that he's not a voice pointing to God. He is the voice of God. 
And that's awesome. That's amazing because that has power and authority. And so you have to imagine just the excitement in people. Maybe they don't understand it, but they know that it's different. There's amazement and wonder because they know Jesus' word, his message has authority. And so the key comes in the recognition of Jesus. Who, who after hearing him in this story, is amazed by his teaching? Who knows it is a little bit different than what they know? Who denies his teaching? And as we read in the coming weeks, there's people that are going to follow Jesus. There's going to be people that deny Jesus. And there's going to be people that don't see his teaching as true. Who chooses to follow him is the question that I always ask. It's like, who chose to follow and who chose to look the other way when Jesus was teaching? He's in this synagogue. People are amazed. And immediately Jesus comes against resistance. The broadest picture I can paint for this story is that this is a story of light versus darkness, and we're seeing it played out right before our eyes in this story. Jesus was rejected in his hometown, we heard that last week, and Satan himself was tempting him in the weeks back that we've read. He actually tempted Jesus for 40 days in the desert, and Satan himself is trying to get Jesus to just give this plan up. He knows Jesus is here for a reason. He understands that Jesus is powerful and that he's here for a purpose. And he's trying to do everything he can to get Jesus to just give up on the plan. But Jesus stands strong. He has authority. He rebukes Satan. And so he goes to his hometown. He's rebuked from his hometown. And now he's coming into the synagogue. And we see resistance from this man who's possessed by a demon. And so this is light versus darkness. First it was Satan. Now it's a demon just coming against Jesus. And so I just want you to understand that the playing field of this story is not just like the physical in the synagogue. The playing field is also in the spiritual realm. It's a spiritual battle between darkness and light, good and evil, Jesus and the devil. And it's like, it's like bigger than just the story, just the physical that we look at. And I just want, like John 1, 1 through 5 kind of explains that light versus darkness. And I just want to read that to you so you can understand a little bit from a different perspective. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Other translations will say, but the darkness has not overcome it. And so like that's what you kind of understand is that this from the very beginning of time, from the minute that death and darkness entered into the world, there's been this struggle between light and darkness. And it's just awesome because if you understand the story and if you look at all of history, you realize that Jesus waits for just the right time to enter the scene to come and change everything, to come and live his life and to start the course of events that would lead for salvation to enter, enter the world through Jesus. And it's no wonder the devil is doing all he can to try and stop the plan that Jesus has. Jesus is a light that shines in the darkness. And that's a great way to look at the story as we kind of dive in and look at the demonized person. It's to like understand that it's light versus darkness. But first we need to look at this interruption in Jesus' life. You'll find as we read on through Luke, time and time again, Jesus is going about his business. He's teaching people. He's bringing people, trying to get people to follow him. And it is the times that when he's interrupted for just a second, 
is when he performs his miracles. How easy is, to, is it to go through our lives and to like see interruptions as just a negative thing? It's like to go through our lives and think we have the plan for where our life is headed, where we want to go, but not leave any room for any interruptions to happen in our lives. If we look at Jesus and we look at his miracles, is Jesus' miracles are interruptions. That's the next point. Your next feeling is Jesus' miracles are interruptions. They're just interruptions into the, what he was doing. Jesus' story is filled with interruptions much like our own. In our lives, these interruptions could be both positive and negative things. There could be new job opportunities, promotions. Maybe you find out you have a new kid on the way. That in something that maybe wasn't a part of the plan, but something that's positive. It's something to like be joyful about. But it's an interruption because maybe that's not how you had it planned in, in your plan of things. But maybe it's something that's a little bit more negative. Maybe it's an unexpected job transition. Maybe it's a negative diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Negative interruptions happen all the time in our lives. But it's like how we choose to respond to those interruptions, both good and bad, that determine how our life is going to be, how we understand life, and how we can interact with Jesus. And I think it comes to an attitude of having a closed fist or an open palm mentality when you're looking at your life. And do we hold our lives with a closed fist and say, well, if my life doesn't work out the way I want it, then you know what? It's going to really ruin my self-identity and the way that I see myself or my self-worth. And whereas on the flip side, I think the way God would have us live our lives and the way that kind of best like gives respect to him to like guide us and lead us is to have a life with an open palm kind of mentality where we hold our lives in our hand and yeah, we have a plan for where we want to be. Maybe we think we know where God is taking us, but we're willing and available for the interruptions to happen in our lives. The good and the bad. So like if something awesome happens and you're like, you're like blessed, you know, however, however you're blessed in your life, that you're ready for it to like maximize the blessing. Because sometimes people fall into favor and they're not ready for it. And it ends up derailing them. And that something that's positive can quickly turn into something that's negative. I like, I laugh when people like win the lottery and like, I'm not encouraging you to go gamble or anything, but you know, if you play $1 like in the, when it's really big, someone has to win, right? So it's like, but I laugh when people who get like $500 million and they end up bankrupt in like 10 years. And it's like, you never would have made that much money in your life, but now that you did, now you're bankrupt. Excuse me, I have allergies, and so my throat is, like, throbbing right now. But, um, but you, you, like, there's sometimes the good things that happen to you, um, like, they just derail you because you weren't ready for it. And on the flip side, when negative things happen to you, how many times are we never ready, like, or prepared, and we just think that when something negative happens to us, so, like, that's the end of the world. But I think if we hold our lives with an open hand and say, I realize that good and bad things can happen to me, and I'm not God, and I don't know where my life is headed, that we're ready for those interruptions. And so Jesus was the master of this. How many times is he interrupted by people? And not seeing it as a negative thing, he in turn blesses the person doing the interruption. 
And sometimes I think we need to be people of interruption when it comes to following Jesus. If you have a dream, why not ask God to bless that dream and why don't you go for it, even if it's an interruption to your life. If you know someone who is sick or if you're sick, why not try fasting and praying and just be that person that just knocks on the door of God and says, you know what, I am like going to try to do everything that I can to like just persuade you to just help me. Or like just to just pray and be earnest and, and just with that fervor inside of you to approach God and run after him. I think it's important for us to be people of interruption when it comes to Christ. To just go after him and say, God, I'm going to interrupt you and just ask you to bless my family or to bless my community. I'm going to be a person of interruption to bless people. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were all people that were people of interruption into other people's lives for the good things, that we could help them, we could bless people. I feel like at Open Life when we do stuff like the school supply give or uh, the big give for Thanksgiving, like that's an interruption to people's lives, but it's a, it's a good interruption because maybe they were trying to figure out a way to pay for their school supplies or play for, pray for or find ways to pay for their Thanksgiving meal. We, we can be an interruption by blessing people in their lives. And so in this story, a man is possessed by a demon, and we see Jesus being interrupted. So let's look at the reactions of the people involved in this passage. When we're looking at the demon, demonized man, there are some issues that, we need, to, that like, need to be addressed when we're talking about demons. First of all, who was this man? Why did he have a demon? Are demons even real? And can we be possessed by demons today? And so as we look at this, let's be cautious about how we look at the devil and demons. Both, both, devil, both the devil and demons are not equal to God. God created everything. God is all-present, he is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. Whereas Satan is not any of those things. He's not omnipresent, He's not all-powerful, and he's not all-knowing. And so any foothold that, like, the devil has in someone's life has to be given to him. It's like he can't just come, especially if you are, like, one with Jesus, if you are following and you're in step with him, you cannot, like, be overtaken by Satan because you have the power of Christ inside of you. And that's going to be the key thing that we're going to figure out today. And so when we're looking at demons and we're looking at the devil— the, there's, you can fall on two sides of the coin that could be really dangerous. They're kind of two extremes. The first is that we dismiss like spiritual beings or we dismiss that like spiritual world. We assume that demons must just be like, if someone had a demon today, it's, well, they're just sick. Like they, they're, you know, they're just kind of like sick in the head. They should just have like, you know, go to the hospital and get medication and, and we're just going to toss them over there. Or, and we begin to think that Satan doesn't exist or that hell doesn't exist. And we're foolish to believe that. If we ignore that, that you know, Satan isn't real, if we ignore that, that demons aren't actually real, then that's, like, that's a danger. So on the one hand, you could be like, you know, none of that is real. But on the other hand, on the other far side, you could like actually celebrate demons. You could celebrate the devil. 
And so our culture likes to do this a lot with like movies or television where, you know, they, like, they celebrate demon possession to scare people. Like, you know, to have that like some people like to be scared when they watch movies. I'm not really one of those people. Like that's just weird. But if, you know, and no judgment. But um, uh, so <laughs> you're like, uh, but so like on the other hand, it's like celebrated. Whereas like, you know, what becomes, like, important is, like, the devil and, and Satan and demons. Like, that becomes the importance of spirituality. And so people, like, who fall into the cult or witchcraft, like, they, they love that more than they would love Jesus. And so that's where you can fall on either two sides of the spectrum that are very dangerous to be on, to either deny that Satan and demons don't exist or to actually celebrate that they do exist. You don't want to be in either side of those things. What is, what is important is that if you fall in the middle in balance to understand that actually demons and Satan are real, but to also realize that Jesus and life with God is more powerful every time is like where you need to fall. And so that's kind of going to dictate the discussion today. To claim that evil doesn't exist would be completely wrong, but to also claim that we are powerless against it and give it too much credit is also wrong. What you, find, what you find sometimes is that people will blame demons for things that they can control themselves. You can't just say, like, oh, I messed up. I must have been possessed by a demon. Like, there was a demon inside of me, so now I don't have to take my own responsibility to do it. And so that you can't fall into either of those camps. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be possessed by a demon because you have power and authority in that. And we'll talk about that more. And so we're not told many specifics about the man in this story. He was in the synagogue and heard Jesus speaking, and that's when he cried out to Jesus. Satan wants to do everything in his power to derail Jesus' mission, both then and both now too. And so to think that Satan isn't doing stuff to derail that mission today would be foolish. To think that there aren't demons today that are trying to push people that, are, that don't follow them right now to keep them from them would be foolish to not think that that's real. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Satan's goal is always to destroy life, but Jesus is always to bring life. Satan will go to great lengths to de derail the reason Jesus is on earth. Eventually, this leads to Jesus being crucified on the cross, but even that did not stop the plan that Jesus had, because Jesus rose again, and through that we have life. The devil destroys, but Jesus brings life. So back to this man. How did he, be, how did he come to be possessed by a demon? And so a good example I kind of want to talk about is like how many of you guys have just— uh, email inbox that's just over cluttered completely. We can raise our hands. A lot of us do. Like, I know someone who has like 5,000 emails like on their iPhone. And I don't have an iPhone, so like I don't have to deal with that. But someone close to me, I'm not going to name any names, but um, <clears throat> but like if we look at that, have you ever wondered how you can get so much email? I mean, I have an iPad, so I go through my email pretty consistently. But if I go a day without looking at my email or like, you know, clicking on them and deleting them, I could have 50 emails. And I'm like, where did I get all these emails from? Like, who are these people? And, it, and it's like you get how many, like, how many emails do I really need from Groupon 
you know, to like sign up for a deal or living social or, or like anytime you sign up for an app or anytime you like put in like, you know, your name for a drawing and you put your email in there, they're going to send you mail. And so like the fun thing that I used to do is like you're at Dairy Queen and they have those like free 30-day 24-hour fitness things. What you do is you get your best friend and you write his name down there and you just write a bunch of junk and you just send them all this email and they're like, how am I get, I did not sign up for 24-hour fitness. So maybe that's why I have all this junk right now is because my friend, my friend Tony would do that to me. So, um, But if you're looking at it, there's ways to protect that. If you have Gmail, they have a lot of ways to filter your email so you don't have to see all the junk. It just goes directly to your junk mail. There's, um, like, I have an app that just makes it really easy just to go swipe, delete, swipe, delete, swipe, delete. And it's funny, I've actually, what I've been trying to do, and I've challenged myself to do this, is that anytime I get an email that I don't actually read, so I, you know what, like, if I have 50 unread emails, I just, like, you know, press the button so that it goes, like, so it moves that number down or, like, it makes the number go down. But I actually didn't read it. And so what I've challenged myself to do is actually go into the email and click unsubscribe so that I don't keep getting all those emails. But as we're looking at the example of um, the demonized person, is that somehow, some way, they were, didn't have a good mechanism to filter out, like, the messages of evil. Or they didn't have a good way of, like, understanding that, like, they could do something to stay in the light. And so now th- think of this man like an email back. Somehow in his life, he's not been getting the message from God. If, if God is sending a message, somehow he's not reading them. Because how many times do you have like 50 unread emails and there's one important one in them and you accidentally delete it because you have just so much junk and so much clutter? Somehow this demonized man had so much junk and so much clutter in his life that he was not able to receive the message from God that like... God is real, that he, that he could have a life with God. Like somehow he did not have the mechanisms in place to like stand, to stand against the clutter or the junk and to get it rid of it. And so pre, over time, the, Satan comes in, a demon comes in and possesses this person. That person is influenced by Satan. And so when we subscribe to things that clutter our lives, or when we are not diligent at filtering out messages that distract us from Jesus, we open up an opportunity to be influenced, attacked, or possessed by a demon, or being attacked or influenced by Satan. And so that's important for us to understand, is that, like, it's not just a matter of, yes, I accept Jesus so that I can never be possessed, but it's like, I accept Jesus, I turn from my sin, but like it's a continual thing that we have to like watch out for. We are constantly in battle with our sinful nature. And we're going to talk about that more. First John 2.16, the first thing we're going to talk about is the world. Because there's different pressures and things that can come against us. And the first one you would find out is the world. First John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has, he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So kind of like the systems that are set up today in the world. I don't see a lot of systems that really promote like following God or following Jesus. I see a lot of systems that promote like myself, that promotes the me aspect of things. They promote pride. They say, you know what, if you work really hard, you can make a lot of money and then you can be great. There's not a lot about like 
following Jesus or following someone else about like, like it's not all about you. How many times do people say that, but they don't really mean it? Because really the message that we're totally, we're told all the time for culture is that it is all about you, that you have to do these things, that you have to gain everything. And that do whatever you can, like squash other people, don't show mercy to anyone because you need to be higher, you need to be greater. And so there's other religions, other things. Anything that does not point to Jesus could be considered like darkness. Because if Jesus is the one true light, then anything that distracts from that is really promoting darkness and not the light. And so the other thing, so you have the world, you have systems in place, other religions, other, like, you know, whatever it is, people worship other gods, people, you know, think that there's a different way to heaven or to salvation. If it's not of Jesus, then let's just think of that. If it's not of Jesus' darkness, Jesus is light. So you have the world, but then you also have a thing called the sinful nature, or sometimes in the Bible it's called the flesh. A few verses on that. Romans 7, 18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Galatians 5.19 says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Ephesians 2.3 says, All of us also lived among them at one time, glorifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Our sinful nature has been alive in us ever since Adam and Eve chose to give in to Satan rather than following God. And God was like walking with them. You know, it blows my mind on one hand, but then on the other hand, like I mess up too. And I imagine that I'm just like Adam, you know? And so it's like ever since then, sinful nature has been a part of life. We all have different areas in our life. We all have different things inside of us that would say, you know what? Like I'm going to mess up here or I'm going to do this. There's just that constant pull and tug. And so this man in the synagogue, I don't know if it was his propensity, propensity to believe a system of the world or if it was something in his sinful nature that like, he was giving himself into and hadn't repented for it. But something in him said, you know what, I'm giving up control. To, I'm not giving control to God, and so I'm open to be controlled by darkness. And so when we think about it, the hope of this story and the hope for, for you and me is always going to be found in Jesus. Jesus is the way out of this. For the demon-possessed and for those who don't currently believe in Jesus, it is Jesus' sacrifice, it is resurrection that provides deliverance and the power to resist the evil one, to resist evil and demons. It is the Spirit of God that empowers followers of Jesus to set up the filters that we need to battle against our sinful nature. It's the, it's the power of Christ inside of us that allows us to resist inclinations to like find different ways to live our lives other than Jesus. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When we choose to follow Jesus, we walk in his authority in all we do. The fear of being possessed by demons has no place in those who trust in Jesus because darkness, every time, must submit to the light and authority of Jesus. Jesus says only two things to the demon. He says, be quiet and come out of him. All of the characters in this, in this story, of all of the characters in this story, the one that recognizes who Jesus was, was the demon. 
Satan and any demons have to submit to Jesus. And like the best part about it is like demons and Satan know the power and authority of Jesus. It's not like a rock, paper, scissors thing between demons and the power of Jesus where like sometimes, you know, if you, if you do scissors, then you have a better chance of winning, you know. It's not like a two-chance thing. Anytime you say, in the name of Jesus, come out of him, darkness has to flee. And so that's like hope, and that's exciting. And so when people are fearful or worried that like, oh, I could have a demon, then you have to say, well, do you, you believe in Christ? Have you, have you just prayed in the name of Jesus for healing or for deliverance? Because it's specifically said that darkness has to flee. Light always has to flee. When it, or darkness always has to flee when it's in the presence of light. And so the key in the next point in our relationship with this darkness and our relationship with Jesus is that if we are in step with Jesus, Satan and demons have no authority in our lives. Can we be attacked? Can we be influenced and maybe like be attacked by demons? Yes, we can. Even we see Jesus in this. You could say for, for a minute there he's attacked because this demon's yelling at him. But the minute he says, come out of him, Shut up and come out of him. The demon comes out of him. And so what we have to realize is that Satan and demons, they are not God. Demons are not infinite. There's not just this infinite number of demons everywhere, just like, you know, at a moment's notice. Satan is not God. Demons are not infinite. Jesus is all-powerful, and he has all authority. We don't have any obligation to to Satan if we are in step with Jesus and walking towards him. And so if you are ever attacked spiritually, you have the same authority under Jesus' name to cast out demons. You have the authority to stand against the schemes of the devil on a daily basis. Through Jesus' power, we can recognize when we are tempted by false teachings that would distract us from him. In his authority, we have strength to stand against temptations of any kind. Ephesians 6, 10 through tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And so the this most simplest way I can explain just this story is that darkness and light are always going to be against each other. The devil and his demons... They, they inhabit dark places. But Jesus brings light to the world. And when you have Jesus inside of you, you also are a light bearer. And so that comes with freedom, and it comes with healing, and it comes with restoration to your life, but it also comes with responsibility to also be a light bearer to other people. And so that's like where we go from here. It's like when you follow Jesus, you're free. There's no fear about being possessed because you have Jesus inside. You have the power of Christ inside of you. But you also have the power to push away darkness. So I have a video. Why don't you watch this and then we'll conclude. The verse that was on that, if you couldn't read it, it says, In him was life, and that life was light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We read it earlier. It's from John 1. But it's like, and I've belabored the point a little bit, but that this darkness and this light, 
this light is so much more powerful than this darkness. The only way that darkness can expand its reach is by the absence of light. And so it's like when we choose to like let ourselves be influenced by things of the world or our sinful nature and we, we mess up, like, yeah, our light gets dimmer. And if it completely goes out and you totally renounce Jesus, then yeah, you could be possessed by a demon. But if you have even a glimmer of light inside of you, the hope and the joy of following Jesus is that when we do mess up, he forgives us. He's faithful for, to forgive us for the things that we've done. And our light gets brighter. And when we, when we choose to walk in step with him and choose to like really know who Jesus is, that light gets brighter and brighter. And so the last point today is we need to get to a place of where we, we say, what is this teaching? And turn that into this is Jesus. If I'm in this story that Jesus is in this synagogue, I don't want to be just the people that are amazed and are kind of like wondering about Jesus. I want to be not like the demon and like be evil, but I want to be some, a follower of Jesus that says, you know what? I know what this is. This is Jesus. Like this is Jesus that, 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 that healed this man and took the demon out of him. And like that's our challenge like for all like of life of knowing Jesus is that to be people not just like amazed like for ourselves and say, oh, that is really awesome. But like to be the person that says to other people that shouts from a rooftop with a neon sign that says, you know what? This is Jesus. This is light. This is power. This is authority. This is freedom for your life. And so we all know people that are in shades of darkness in their lives and we can be the radiance of light inside of them to like dissipate that darkness, to be that encourager, to be that comfort, to be that interruption in their lives that says, you know what, I'm here for you. And I'm, going, I'm like here to stand with you. And so our action steps today in response to the message is the first one is let's know Jesus. Let's know him better. Let's pray this week. Let's jump in our Bible and like really just relentlessly pursue Jesus to know him better. Start in Luke. Read Luke. Maybe read uh, uh, Philippians. I love to read Philippians like over and over and over in a week's time because I just love the encouragement I get from that. But like let's pursue God. Let's pursue Christ like just with a relentless desire inside of us that says, you know, I want to know you more so that I can recognize you, so that I can recognize Jesus, so that I can be a recognition of Jesus to other people. The next thing is unsubscribe from the clutter. If there's things in your life that you're subscribing to that, that aren't pointing to Jesus, man, just unsubscribe from that. I'm not talking like emails. I'm talking like things that we do that just don't point to Jesus, that would actually point away from Jesus. Let's unsubscribe, for, unsubscribe from those things and let's subscribe to Jesus. And the next one is walk in authority, not in fear. You have the authority if you've chosen to believe and have faith in Jesus. There's no need to fear like because I know people that like feel they're attacked like on a daily basis. And like, and I'm not saying that they're not being attacked, but I'm saying you don't have to be in fear of those attacks. You have authority and power in Jesus to stand up under it and say, in the name of Jesus, like get away from me, whatever it is. 
And so like, that's the power we have. That's the authority we have in Christ. And so to, I'm not gonna pray today. I want you guys to pray when we're like worshiping. Just pray to yourselves. But I wanna read Colossians 2, 6, 6 through 15 because I think it sums up everything we've talked about really well because it, it just mentions stuff. So I'm just gonna read it out of the message version and then we're just gonna worship. And so I encourage you guys just to follow along. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, the fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out, figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders. Not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you. Destroying the power of sin. It's an initiation ritual you're after. You have already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So I just leave that to encourage you today. It's like it's nailed to the cross. Your power is through Jesus. So walk in it in authority.